the Bible signs indicate that we're close to the end of the age, a time when both righteousness and wickedness will be on the increase. The Bible predicts that light will shine amidst great darkness. May God help us continually to distinguish the light from darkness and to shine gloriously within this darkness. Surely this requires understanding of the times prophetically. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Dark. Let's not be confused, but understand that an antithesis of light and darkness, righteousness and wickedness surrounds us on all sides. An exceedingly great promise for God's people at the close of the age is declared in the prophetic word in Isaiah 60 and verses 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. For behold, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This glorious promise is that in the midst of dense darkness covering the nations, at the same time, the glory of God will illuminate us, and truth-seekers will come out of the darkness to seek the light, and in their perplexities they will consult with the people of God. In the face of encompassing evil, we must expect that the light shining from us will be an attractive power. We must be biblically literate and realize that we cannot expect the darkness to dissipate because Bible prophecy teaches that darkness will continue to grow deeper, but by contrast, the light of God will grow brighter. Due to the world's desperate need of truth, we must arise and shine, for time is short. A New York Times best-selling author, Justin Haskins, has written an article in The Federalist concerning alarming proposals to be considered at the United Nations next year regarding emergencies. A summit of the future is planned by international bureaucrats in the UN. Haskins said theirs might be the biggest attempted power grab in the history of the United Nations. Member nations are expected to adopt a pact for the future including a stunning proposal to grant significant powers to the UN in the event of future global crises, such as another pandemic. Haskins wrote that the United Nations are planning unprecedented authority over both public and private sectors of huge parts of the world, all in the name of combating a yet unknown crisis. These international power brokers would grant themselves power to determine how long an emergency could last. And justifications for the power grab would include things like climate events, pandemics, 
digital disruptions in any, quote, unforeseen event. Rather than assert America's independence and sovereignty, the Biden White House has expressed support for the UN's emergency takeover plans. So we're here to tell you that the return of the Lord is the only lasting hope for the human race. It's utterly unrealistic for us to expect politicians and bureaucrats to solve humanity's problems. After all, that's the teaching of humanism. But humanism is an anti-God, anti-Christ force that's infiltrating most governments today. Now, I want to share with you a prophetic vision. And first of all, I have to say that prophetic people do not base what we believe solely on individual visions and testimonies because we believe that Bible prophecies are not to be of anybody's private interpretation. However, every now and then somebody shares a vision that's so accurate that it causes us to sit up and take note that Jesus is coming again soon, just, of course, as the Bible teaches. An old woman of 90 years of age who was living in Norway had a vision in 1968, and there was an evangelist at the time named Emmanuel Minos who held services where the elderly lady lived. Evangelist Emmanuel had the opportunity to meet with her, and he recalled that she had been very alert and had come across as a reliable, credible believer who also enjoyed a good reputation. As the old lady told him what she had seen in the vision, the evangelist wrote down everything. But he thought the things that she related were too far-fetched at the time, so he put his notes away in a drawer. Five decades later, around 2018, the evangelist rediscovered his notes, and now he felt her vision was highly relevant, so he decided to share the contents with others, and this is what she said, and I'm quoting the woman, I saw the time just before the coming of Jesus and the outbreak of the Third World War. I saw the events with my natural eyes. I saw the world like a globe, and I saw Europe land by land. I saw Scandinavia, Norway. I saw certain things that would take place just before the return of Jesus. And I saw a calamity, the likes of which we've never before experienced. Then she mentioned four waves. First, before Jesus comes and before the Third World War breaks out, there will be a time of peace like we've never experienced before. There will be peace between the superpowers in the East and the West, and there will be a long peace. Now, remember, her vision was shared in 1968 when the Cold War was at its height. She said, in this period of peace, there will be disarmament in many countries, also in Norway, and so we will not be prepared when the war actually comes. The Third World War will begin, she prophesied, in a way no one would have anticipated and from an unexpected place. Secondly, she saw a lukewarmness without parallel that will take hold of Christians a falling away from true living Christianity. She said Christians will not be open to the kind of preaching that penetrates the soul. They will not, like in earlier times, want to hear about sin and grace, 
law and gospel, repentance and restoration. Instead, there will come a substitute gospel of prosperity and what she described as happiness Christianity. She foresaw that the emphasis will be to have success, to be somebody, and to have material possessions, things that God never promised us in this way. Instead of the preaching such as we have been used to for generations, such as take up your cross daily and follow Jesus, instead, entertainment, art, and culture will invade the churches where there should have been gatherings for repentance and revival. She said this worldliness will increase markedly just before the return of Jesus. And thirdly, the elderly woman envisioned a moral disintegration that Old Norway had never experienced the likes of. She said people will live together like married without being married. Before 1968, cohabitation was not the norm. But she foresaw much uncleanness and much infidelity in marriage becoming the common way and being justified from every angle. She said Christian circles will pet sins just before Jesus' return. And she said there will be TV programs like we've never experienced. TV had just arrived in Norway in the woman's lifetime. But she said TV will be filled with such horrible violence that will teach people to murder and destroy each other. And our streets will become unsafe. People will copy what they see on TV. And there will not be only one station on TV. It will be filled with stations. She used the word stations because she didn't know the word channel that's frequently used now. She said TV will be filled with violence and people will use that violence for entertainment. She said we will see terrible scenes of murder and destruction and this will be spread in society. The most intimate things that should take place in a marriage will be shown openly on TV. Well, the evangelists had protested the woman's vision, saying that the government had a law forbidding such things. But her answer was, it will happen and you will see it. The most indecent things will pass before your eyes and every aspect of society will be broken down. The fourth wave that the elderly lady had seen before the second coming of Jesus was immigrants streaming from poor countries into Europe, Scandinavia, and Norway, and so forth. In 1968, migrants were not common. She said there will be so many of them that people will begin to dislike them and become harsh with them. She said they will be treated like the Jews were treated before the Second World War. Then the full measure of our sins will have been reached. Evangelist Emmanuel said that tears streamed down the old woman's cheeks as she related her vision and she added, I will not see it, but you will. And then suddenly Jesus will come, and the Third World War will have broken out. She said, it will be a short war. And she added, all that I have seen of war in my lifetime is only child's play compared to this one, and it will be involved with some type of nuclear warfare. With words that sounded like scenes from the book of Revelation, she said, the air will be so polluted covering continents, America, Japan, Australia, and the wealthy nations. Water will be contaminated. Nobody will be able to till the soil. The result will be that 
only a remnant will remain. The remnant in the wealthy countries will try to flee to the poorer countries, but the poor countries will be as hard on the wealthy as we were on them. The elderly lady concluded by reminding us that the people who have their sins forgiven and have Jesus as Lord and Savior will be safe. Well, as I said, we don't need to take the Norwegian woman's word concerning the future, even though it's a confirmation, because this word of God itself predicts those many horrors. Even now, strong believers who are aware of prophetic times know that this age is winding up, and soon history will culminate with the fullness of the Gentiles having been completed within the church, then the salvation of the nation Israel, followed by the return of Jesus to rule this planet for a thousand years from Jerusalem. Knowing that we're on the cusp of a major, major paradigm shift into the millennial kingdom of Messiah, as good stewards of God's word, we must be seeking first the kingdom of God in everything we do and say more diligently than ever. That's why we need Bible prophecy to remind us of the urgency of the hour. The Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 1.19, we also have the prophetic word made more sure. And he, of course, was referring to the recorded prophecies in the Hebrew Bible. Peter says, you will do well to pay attention to these Bible prophecies because they're like a light shining in a dark place. Yes, the world is getting darker, and we need the light that God's prophetic word provides, the prophetic revelation of Scripture, in order to understand the times and to comprehend where the world is headed. It's amazing to me that a person can be saved by grace and yet in this hour still be in the dark without a clue because they haven't availed themselves by studying the light of Bible prophecy. And if that's the case, people really won't understand, even churchgoers won't understand the headlines and how everything is building up to a network where nobody will be able to buy or sell without selling their souls into the globalist system. Well, in my Bible reading this morning, I came across a familiar verse that rings relevant to the situation of our nations presently, especially in the West. And it was Psalm 11.3, which declares, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Amplified Bible clearly renders this verse. If the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This verse compares the state or society to a building or house that's been shattered by an earthquake. In such a case, how to find safety? The foundations represent the fundamental principles of law and order and justice. Doesn't that sound like the state of America and Britain even as I speak? Good is being called evil and evil is being extolled as good. Politicians are corrupt. The Ten Commandments are mocked. In the American state of Utah, unbelievably, the Bible was banned in one school district, school libraries. When godly principles are being subverted and destroyed, what, asks the voice of despair in Psalm 11.3, can the righteous do? The Bible commentaries explain that the question in the original Hebrew seems intended to exclude possibility 
of an encouraging answer. The commentaries also say that the verse would probably be rendered like this. The foundations are being overthrown. What have the righteous done? In other words, the efforts of all the righteous folk have availed nothing to avert the general anarchy. And that's the sobering thought. The context of this verse was David's predicament when he was being treated despicably by King Saul. David had to flee from the presence of Saul. In that context, one Bible commentator, Bishop Patrick, paraphrased the Psalm 11.3 like this. If men have no regard to laws and public decrees, which are the foundation of human society, if they will boldly violate all known and standing rules of justice and truth, what can the righteous do? What security can an honest person actually have? He can only make haste away from the place where officials act so arbitrarily. In the United States, for example, we see people fleeing from state to state to live where the law still uphold justice and common sense. Well, it's been said that God sends each soul into the world with a special message to deliver and a revelation that only he or she can bring to this world. And that should give each of us a great sense of purpose. The only regret of genuine born-again believers should be how much more we could have actually accomplished for the Lord or how much better we could have done it. No one else can bring our message and our assignment to this world. Only we can do what God has created us to do. I grasped that years ago when I held a gospel meeting in our home, and there were about 50 gospel needy persons in attendance. I had asked a certain preacher to bring the message, thinking that surely he would hit the target, but he didn't. And shockingly, I realized that I was the one who was anointed that day to preach a simple gospel message. Sitting there watching the preacher flounder, I felt I would burst until at last he finished and I could finally stand up and give a simple gospel invitation for souls to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord. You see, God has created each one of us uniquely in his image, and so we have unique individual works to accomplish that not anybody else on earth can actually do. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 declares, For we are God's handiwork. One translation renders this, We are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One of my favorite preachers, Liverpool's Bishop R.C. Ryle, when he was an undergraduate in Oxford, became born again when he heard Ephesians 2.8 read aloud as the second lesson in an Anglican service. The reader read the verse with a pause between each clause. The entire message goes like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that any person can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, isn't it amazing to contemplate that in his foreknowledge, 
God envisioned the individual works that every born-again believer would accomplish. And in the Almighty's mind, he mapped the good deeds that we should walk in. Ephesians 2.10 is startling for a number of reasons. It says, we are God's workmanship. And the word rendered workmanship is only used elsewhere in Romans 1.20, where it's applied to God's works in creation. So Paul taught in the epistle to the Ephesians that our exploits are already existing in God's foreknowledge and are an inseparable part of our reborn life. So we need to discover these works that God has already prepared for us. The verse implies that we will walk continually in an atmosphere of spirit-led exploits. Bible commentaries point out that our good works are part of the divine decree. And so if we're not living a life of good works, we have no reason to believe that we have been saved by grace. In the same sense, the Apostle Paul used a paradox in Philippians 2.12, in which he admonished, Work out your own salvation, for it is God that works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. So you see, both truths are emphasized in the New Testament. On the one hand, God's preordination, and on the other hand, our own responsible freedom. So now to walk in these works that God has foreordained, we must be sure that we have been born from above, that we have put our trust in the Savior, and that we have passed from death into eternal life. And then all our days as pilgrims on this earth, we must be specific in prayer. Let's be clear about what we're asking for. Ask the Lord to show you the specific works that he has foreordained that only you can accomplish. Doing his will brings the greatest satisfaction because you're doing what you were supposed, what you were created to do. The need to be precise in our prayer requests is clearly illustrated in the incident of two blind men in Jericho who petitioned Jesus in Matthew 20. This incident proves that vague prayers are insufficient. As they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed Jesus, and behold, two blind men were sitting by the way, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. The multitude rebuked them, telling them to be quiet. But the blind men cried out all the more, calling for mercy, O Lord, thou son of David. And what happened? Jesus stood still and called for them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Of course, Jesus knew they were blind, but he wanted to hear specific petitions from them. They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. The Gospels of Mark and Luke also relate the story with some different details, but all three accounts convey the need to be specific when making our prayer request to the Lord. According to the commentaries, both persistence and faith were not enough. Jesus demanded specific requests. Even though the blind men were persistent and calling out to Jesus, that didn't cause them to receive their sight. They also believed Jesus could heal them, and they acknowledged his authority by calling him Lord and Son of David. 
But up to that point, they remained blind. Jesus still required a specific request. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus didn't answer their prayer until they told him specifically that they wanted to receive their sight. Think about this. Have mercy is probably how these blind beggars usually petition people who pass by. But Jesus wanted them to make it clear that they were not asking for alms. He wanted them to acknowledge that they were asking specifically for a miraculous healing. Of course, as I said, Jesus knew exactly what they needed, but he required them to be specific. Only when the blind men publicly declared precisely what they wanted did they actually receive their sight. So we also must be specific when we pray if we want our prayers answered. The sobering question remains, are we ready for the sudden appearance of the Lord Jesus? There will be no time to get ready when he returns. We must already be ready. That's why it's important not to delay our surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, so that when he comes, he will come as our Savior and not as our judge. I'm here to tell you that you just cannot save yourself, and the church can't save you. Only the Savior is worthy to save you, and he's paid the price with his own sinless, atoning blood. And God approved him as Savior and Lord by raising him from the dead. Jesus knows the worst about us, yet he's the one who loves us the most. And here's the key to salvation, Romans 10, 9. If you're willing to declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So are you willing to say with me, Jesus is Lord? I hope so. It's my earnest prayer. In the meantime, we invite you to visit our website, exploits.tv, and also our Jerusalem Channel app, as well as our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, to watch our library of videos 24-7. Our ministry is called Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32, declaring that the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will accomplish exploits meaning we'll do the works of the Lord that he has prepared for us to fulfill before his imminent return. Please feel free to share with me your thoughts on social media. And today we want to leave you with a word of assurance. The Lord invites you to put your trust in him. And this is the conclusion of Psalm 11. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. His eyes are watching closely. They examined the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. His soul hates the lover of violence. On the wicked, he will rain down fiery coals and sulfur. A scorching wind will be their portion. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Amen. Well, until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. A new day begins over Jerusalem's Western Wall Plaza, where Jews and Christians from all over the world gather to worship, pray, and petition the God of Israel. The Holy City is a unique mix of tradition, 
history and religious fervor that makes it the center of the world. Through your support of the Jerusalem Channel, we're able to present to a global audience a spiritual insight into the Bible and Bible prophecy that will impact your life. Thank you for being part of these programs. To make a gift, visit our website at jerusalemchannel.tv or download our free Jerusalem Channel app where you can donate by credit or debit card. Celebrate with us this ancient capital that will one day soon be the worship center of the Messiah.